0: We do crazy things for a crazy little thing called love, but God did something so crazy it tops what any love-struck, googly-eyed, hopeless romantic could ever do. He loved the world so much, he gave us his son. And maybe you already knew that, but what do you do with a gift like that? That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. This week, Pastor Jason talks about the second week of Advent and how a God-sized love is bigger and crazier than any head over heels love-struck person could even imagine. It's better than the best mixtape you ever made. And it's so much more available than you can imagine. Let's check it out right now.
1: We're in our second week of our Advent series that is all about... What do we do in this Christian life of waiting upon God? Advent is this yearly reminder that we are waiting upon God. It was when they were waiting for Jesus to be born, and we live in this middle time where we're waiting for Jesus to come again, but also it's more than that. It's in our daily lives. There are things that we are waiting on Jesus for all the time. We want him to be God with us. We want him to show up in some area, in some way of our lives. And last week was all about hope. That living with faithful God-sized hope is living, instead of saying, it may be, it will be, if God has promised it. And today, man, we're talking about love. Come on, you came on the right day. It's the warm, fuzzy day. We're talking about love. We're talking about what does it mean to live in this Advent time, living in the love of God, living with God-sized love and waiting upon God with God-sized love. What does that even look like? What is it that we're even talking about? Well, here's what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever done something crazy for love? You ever done anything crazy for love? Yeah, we do crazy things for love. I think i've shared this with you before one of the craziest things i did was in eighth grade i memorized literally memorized every word of this album chicago 17 which featured hits like you're the inspiration and hard habit to break those are the top two of a really wonderful album why did i memorize this album well there was this girl that i liked and she was a fan of the band Chicago. So I figured, learn all the lyrics, have a conversation with her. Late nights, listening to Peter Cetera, to no avail. I never talked to the girl. Anyway, <laughs> we do crazy things for love. So one, one of my best friends, he had it bad for this um, young lady who, lit, who was going to college seven hours away. And he gives me a call one Friday. We're in college. He's like, all right, Jason, I'm coming. We're going on a road trip. Where are we going? Oh, we're going to go visit. And I'm protecting the innocent, all the parties. "Uh, We're going to go visit her. And I'm like, is that like seven hours away? He's like, yep, I got Dunkin' Donuts. We're ready to go. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we drove seven hours. Of course, he goes unannounced to see this poor girl. <laughs> that was that was the best reaction ever from all the women in the room. Oh, yeah. All the guys were like, "Yeah, man. Let's go for it." Live on the edge. So we get <laughs> So we get up there unannounced, and it's like dawn and we're finally rolling in and we get there and she's like, "Hey. What are you What are you doing here?" Let's just say it was incredibly awkward. And I had to console this poor guy the whole way home. Why? Because we do crazy things for love. And then there's Christmas time. Christmas, we do crazy things for love, don't we? Yes, we do. We don't worry about cost. Buy now, pay it later. 12, easy payments. It's fantastic. You guys are like, oh, come on. That hurt. We do crazy things for love. But listen, we come by it honestly. Why do I say that? Because we have a God who does crazy things for love. Have you ever had that experience where you've done something crazy for love? Like, for example, driving seven hours to see someone. And they kind of give you the cold shoulder. Like they don't reciprocate. What happens when we give love out and they don't accept our gifts? They don't accept our love? The blessing! Right? That's Uncle Lewis. Did not appreciate what Clark did. Right? What happens when they don't accept our gifts? What happens when they reject us? Well, we feel hurt. We feel maybe even a little humiliated. We feel shame, we feel frustration, we feel all these different emotions. And I think that's why when we look at our story today from the Old Testament, we see why God was feeling those emotions. Because he was showering his people with his reckless love and they were flat out giving him the cold shoulder. He drove a long way to get to their doorstep only to be completely unappreciated especially by the one person who should have gotten it the most. So we're going all the way back to a prophecy about Jesus from the book of Isaiah and I want to set this up. So 730 years before Jesus. I can't even get my head around that. I feel like when I talk to people who were born in like 1929, 1930, I'm like, wow. Life was so different, but like 730 years, I can't even understand it. So, 730 years. This is the nation of Israel. It was divided into two kingdoms there was a northern and a southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom were 10 tribes of Israel, and the southern were the two tribes, the southern kingdom, uh, that had the the. Family line of the Davidic king, and there was this major crisis going on there 's this King Ahaz of the Southern kingdom who was protecting Jerusalem and uh, the kingdom of judah, and he was basically he was doing it wrong he was doing king wrong he wasn 't getting it he wasn 't doing what God, he wasn 't trusting in God he wasn 't listening in fact. Out of everything that the people of God had been through, and God was constantly trying to help him, and he was just rejecting it. Here was the problem that he faced. Uh, There were some kings that were in an alliance against him. So uh, the king of the north was of the northern kingdom was in an alliance with the king of Aram, and both those kings were in cahoots with the Assyrians. And they were terrified that they were just going to come conquer Jerusalem. Come conquer the southern kingdom. And Ahaz wasn't trusting in God. In fact, it says this in Second Kings 16.2. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now, David wasn't literally his father. What it means is David was the family tree up to, like he was the example He said, unlike David, his folly, he was not doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, he wasn't trusting God at all. The one person who was supposed to be trusting God. And God kept giving him signs. He's like, all right, right, listen, just trust in me and I'm going to get you through this. Don't worry about those other kings. Just believe that I'm powerful enough to protect you. And Ahaz had already made up his mind that he was going to join the alliance instead of fight. He was just going to give in. Because he feared that he would just get conquered anyway. And all God said was to trust. So the prophet Isaiah comes along. And he has these words for Ahaz. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now. When we first read that, we think, oh, okay, well, that's, that's a good thing. Sounds like kind of a pretty pious response. But what we know about Ahaz in this story is that it wasn't piety at all. It was straight-up rebellion, trying to look like he was being pious. He had already made up his mind that he was going to join that alliance and not listen and not trust this God who had recklessly <laughs> showered him with love and possibility. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? After all, God had driven a long way to get there. Only to not be accepted. And here's how good God is. Verse 14. therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want one? Well, guess what? You're going to get one anyway. Why? Because my love is just that big and crazy for you. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Which is exactly what happened. Those two nations disappeared from the face of the earth, just as God said that it would. What amazes me is, and you hear this a lot, and some of you may even feel this way, is that you think, well, I read the Old Testament, and I see angry God. It's Always like all this wrath and vengeance, and I just want Jesus. I just want to give Jesus a hug, man. That's what it's all about, about the New Testament. I totally get that. But I think it comes from us not really reading carefully the Old or the New Testament. First of all, Jesus is not a big, warm, fuzzy. He says some pretty hard things. Like there's nothing that makes me think Jesus came down just to give everyone a hug. I'm sure he's a hugger. Don't get me wrong. But then I read the Old Testament and I see how much people have just flat out blatantly denied God. And God anyway showers them with his reckless love and says, I'm still going to deliver you. In spite of yourself, I showed up at your door and you denied me and you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to come in the flesh and I'm going to take care of this for you. That's how much I love you. I'm like, man, what? why does God love us that much? I was, <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, if I were ever in the secret service and I had to protect a high profile person, I wouldn't want to know them. Why do you think I say that? I wouldn't want any reason to not want to take a bullet for them. Right? I don't want to know them. I don't want to know their personal life or anything. I just want to assume that they're awesome so that I would have courage. <laughs> but it's kind of like God knew, knew anyway that we were a mess, that we don't deserve the love that he wants to give and yet he gave it year after year, century after century. God does crazy things for love. Despite our rejections and refusals, God keeps pursuing us, never stops chasing us, drives all night just to be with us. You know what it is? It's like um, in the Old Testament. I think the reason why sometimes we struggle with both the way that the Old Testament goes into the New Testament is the Old Testament, it was that whole time before Jesus where the world was broken and God was using the nation of Israel to be a light in a dark room. It's like uh, God had a flashlight. (laughs) And he's trying to point out where the light is and show people, hey, you're in this darkness. You can't see around you, but this is what's happening through the prophets and the priests and even the the Ten Commandments and everything. God was shedding some light in a dark place. But then everything changed when Jesus was born. Then all of a sudden something else happened. It's like there was something else beside the dark room, the kingdom of God, just outside. And when Jesus was born, it was like a, a window. Go back to that previous picture. It was like a window that could see out into the kingdom of God. And then when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, then it was like he opened a door to lead us out into the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, so that we can live in the light forever. Go ahead to the next one. That Jesus himself led us out. At the cost of his own life. Which I just... Again, I can't get my head around it. I can just thank God every day for it. That the God of the universe would love me that much. Maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but uh, at camp we used to tell this story to help people understand the love of God and used to liken it to the farmer with a chicken coop. Do you remember this story? Some of you remember this story. Farmer with a chicken coop. Chicken coop catches on fire. Fire. The farmer wants to save the chickens. So he goes in and he opens the door to the coop. And the chickens just stay there. They don't go anywhere. And the coop keeps burning. He's like trying to communicate with them. All right, come on, you know, clapping, trying to get them out. They don't go anywhere. So then he goes in, farmer goes in and starts, you know, shooing them out the chicken coop to save them. But the chickens, they just run right back into the coop. It seems like you know just as fast as he's getting them out they're running right back in. And then he thinks, then he starts getting desperate and starts taking chickens and throwing them out of the coops to save them. Doesn't matter, they run right back in. And he thinks to himself, he thinks if I could only become a chicken. Then they would understand me. I would know how to communicate so that they would all be saved from this burning coop. And as ridiculous as that sounds, that's like what Jesus did. The flashlight wasn't enough. We just stayed in the dark room. He had to come down, become one of us, and communicate in such a way that he could lead us out so that we may live, so that we may never perish, that we could be part of God's eternal kingdom forever. Living into... A new reality of hope and love. Living into reckless love ourselves. Which changes everything. And then we see this prophecy from so long ago. In the midst of such unfaithful people. And it speaks so much I think about God. And his character that he delivered on his promise. So we go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew will end up quoting Isaiah here. To show that the prophecy was fulfilled. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Interesting. There that is again. Son of David. Now, he wasn't David's son, but he was in that line, the Davidic line. And so finally, God found someone in the Davidic line who was going to be faithful When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. God's promise is delivered, yes, even 700 years after it was given. And if you think you do crazy things for love, don't worry. You come by it honestly. God does crazier things for love. That he would come into this world to show us the way home despite our disobedience and our refusal. God with us is literally true. And why did God do that? To show us the way. And here's the thing about God. If you think about the deepest moments of love in your life, The deepest kind of love is built upon promises that are confirmed by actions. You could say that you love someone all day long, but it doesn't mean anything until you deliver. God with us. It's so much more than, sometimes I think God with us even becomes a little bit of a tagline or a catchphrase. Yeah, God with us. Like, just do it. Yeah, it's pretty inspiring. I mean, that is a supernatural reality. God with us. The God of the universe is supremely with us, in us, through us, around us. God with us. Will never leave us or forsake us. And we never deserved it. We can't do anything to earn it. It is reckless. So what do we do? How do we live with God-sized love every day? Especially in the season of Advent in our lives when we're waiting upon God. What does that look like? I think it looks like three things. And they sound simple, but they're not simplistic. The first is accept it. I know a lot of people who hear about the love of God And for one reason or another, remember those walls I was talking about? They never accept it. And usually that's because they feel like they don't deserve it. Therefore, they don't accept it. Like, how is that even possible that God will love me that much? I'm not worthy of that kind of love. I think a lot of us struggle with that more than we would ever admit. About allowing ourselves to be loved fully. We need to accept it. We just say, yeah, I believe it. I believe that despite my life, despite whatever I did or didn't do, that God drove all night (laughs) to be at my door unannounced. And I need to let him in. I need to accept it. But I think the next piece is I need to experience it. I can accept it and then like forget it or or it'll stay in my brain and never translate to my hands and feet you see following jesus isn't just about head knowledge head knowledge is part of it but it never means anything unless we actually do something with it we actually live it we actually experience it so how do you experience the love of god you are in a relationship with god you you spend time with god you You read his word, you pray, you hang out with other people who love God. And the reason that you do that is because all of that is a way that you're experiencing in real time the love of God. And then you share it. You share that love with a world that desperately needs it. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the world desperately needs it. We have never seen a world so divided, so fractured, so deeply broken So without God, and yet, this is the reality that all Christians get. That's why Christians should be the most humble people on the planet, because we're the ones that understand none of us deserved it, and God gave it to us anyway. And so in that sense of humility, we should go out and share that love with everybody else. Say, look, God God loved me that much, and he even loves you that much. What kind of a world would we live in if Christians everywhere did just that? Let us live the promise of God, the promise of God with us. Let us live with God-sized love as we wait upon the Lord. Amen.